reading today is going to be in Jude. Uh, it's going to be 17 through 23. Jude 17 through 23. And if you're physically able to stand, I would ask you to stand for the reading of God's word this morning. Starting in verse 17. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save, our, save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Let's pray, please. Thank you, God, for reading the word. We look forward, God, to the message you bestowed upon Brother Jason as he brings that you've given him. Thank you for this reading, God. Help us to understand how it can touch our hearts, God, and we can go out and live for you in a world that needs us, God. Sometimes, God, our world seems like it's just going in the wrong direction, but we know you're still in charge, God, and you still have your hand on the things that are going on in the world, and we thank you for that. Thank you for what you're doing in our church and the things you're going to do in the future, and give us our sins. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you, Tony. We're continuing to walk through this letter of Jude, this small little letter that was written uh, by Jude, who was uh, Jesus' brother who wrote to the Christians in the first century and thus to us as well about how they should stand in the midst of false teachers who exist among them. And what Jude has pointed out to us so far is that these false teachers who, who find themselves in the church, they worm their way in. They don't show up and go, hey, everybody, I'm about to deceive all of you. No, false teachers show up and they work their way into the church. In fact, he uses the word to worm your way in. And they find themselves creeping into the church so that they might deceive God's people and lead them astray. And Jude wants to encourage the Christians of that time and thus us today on how we should respond and act in the midst of those things. And so what I want to do is continue in that this morning. Now, we've already said as we've studied uh, the last couple weeks in the letter of Jude that the purpose that Jude wrote for was he calls Christians to contend for the faith. He says that false teachers have risen up and, and he's encouraging them to contend or fight for the faith, the true faith of the gospel. And why is that necessary? Well, because those false teachers have crept into the church. And in this text in particular, Jude gives the encouragement to Christians on how you are to contend for the faith. God says you are to contend for the faith, but he knows you might ask, how? And that's what we answer this morning. Here is how, in these verses, God tells us we are to contend for the faith. And what does Jude hope to bring about? Well, I think what he purposes to bring about is that Christians would not be apathetic towards the word of God. Do you understand what I mean by that? That Christians would not become lazy. That Christians would not be caught off guard when it comes to truth. But that Christians would, instead of being apathetic towards something, would actually be active in their faith. And as such, they can stand in the face of false teachers. How do you, 
Christian, stand in the face of false teaching in this world? Well, it's not going to be because you just have great ideas of how to overcome it. No, it's going to be because you have contended for the faith. You have fought to stand in the faith, and that is an active pursuit. So what I want to show you this morning in these few verses are the encouragement of Jude to Christians on how to contend for the faith. And the first thing I want to bring to your attention is that he calls on them, Jude calls on the Christians to remember the predictions of the apostles. Notice how he starts in verse 17. He says, but you, and by the way, that word you is emphatic, underlined, highlighted, starred, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, anytime you see the word but in the Bible, what is it telling you? Telling you he's about to contrast something he just talked about. Well, what did you just talk about? What did we look at last week? We looked at what the false teachers looked like. What they taught what they were motivated by. And so that word but in verse 17 is telling you this is connected to what he wrote about before and it's connected in the form of a contrast. As the false teachers were one way, guess what, Christians? We are another. And he's contrasting true Christians with false teachers. He says, but you, you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want to point out to you That the word remember is an imperative. That means it's a command. It means he's not asking if you can work this in. Jude is saying that Christians in the face of false teachers, in the face of those who would take God's word and twist it or try to teach you another doctrine that's contrary or another gospel, he says you must remember the predictions of the apostles. Okay, well... This tells me something. This tells me that remembering isn't just some passive thing that happens to you. Like you just sit there like a lump on a log waiting for God to call to mind things for you. This remembering is actually an active calling to mind. So let me ask you, how in your daily life would you actively call to mind the predictions of the apostles? Right, why, why read the word? Why not read another book? True. Now remember he said, remember the predictions of who? Where do we have the apostles' predictions? In the Bible they wrote, them, right? The apostles are the ones writing this stuff to you. You want to know the apostles? Not only that, but they also taught they taught actively. They, Paul wasn't just sitting by going, well, I hope they figure this stuff out. Let's just send them some more copies of the Old Testament. No, he's writing to them. He's telling them exactly what's going to happen under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We have the predictions of the apostles right here. They told us what was going to happen. They told us what was going to occur. They told us the purpose behind them. They told us what Jesus taught about those things. If you're going to remember the predictions of the apostles, you're going to have to read this somewhat regularly. Because if you don't, guess what you won't do? You will not call to mind the prediction. God knows how our minds work. If we're not invested into it, we will soon forget. Or we will supplement it with things we think are true. Uh Uh-oh. 
And thus, that's how churches go off the rails, is when they forget about this, and it's no longer calling to mind these things. It's about calling to mind their own opinions or their own preferences. Oh, church, can I tell you, we cannot be that church. If we are going to contend for the true faith given to us by the apostles, we must remember regularly what they said. That means as a Christian, you have got to read your Bible. You have to. Even on the days you don't want to. Even on the days you get up and you're like, oh, I'm just so tired. I've got a thousand things to do. I'll, just, I'll do it later. No, you need to remember the predictions of the apostles. Why? Because it's what's going to cause you to stand in the face of false teaching. That way, when you watch TBN and they put some cretin up there who starts teaching you the strangest things you've ever heard, you'll be able to say, that's not right, and I can tell you why, because in the Bible it says this, 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 and this. But if you don't know the word of God, then how do you know if they're true or not? How do you know if what they're teaching is real? Because I'll be honest with you, not everyone is full-on heretic. Some people look really right, but they're just a shade off. How are you going to know? How will you be able to determine the difference? How will you stand for the faith? How will you contend for it? By remembering. And Jude says that is a, that's an active thing you do. You daily remember the predictions of the apostles. What does that tell us also? Well, it tells us that the apostles predicted everything that was happening that Jude was talking about. So false teachers in the church wasn't something they should go, oh, we never would have figured that out. No, he says, the apostles told you this was going to happen. The apostles told you that people would creep into the church and they would teach falsehood. Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Paul speaking, right? Remember in Acts chapter 20, Paul's on his way back to Jerusalem and he's going to stop by Ephesus where he spent three years ministering, the longest place he was and he calls the Ephesian elders to join him, kind of at the waterfront. He doesn't have time to even go into Ephesus. they got to meet him by the boat. And it's a sad time because Paul knows he's going away, and he knows he'll probably never see them again. And it's a sad time, but he wants to see these Ephesian elders one more time. He wants to see them and love on them. And one of the things he tells them in Acts chapter 20, verse 29 and 30, he says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw you away, uh, to draw away the disciples after them. Paul's on his way out and he says to the Ephesian elders, after I'm gone, wolves will creep in. Not I think they will, not they may. He says they will creep in. And those wolves will seek to devour the sheep. They will seek to lead the people of God astray. Well, that's a prediction of the apostle. And there's more. Throughout the word of God, he tells us, 1 Timothy 4, Paul goes on to tell us about those who would try to subvert the true gospel. And so as a Christian, one of your duties one of my duties as, an, as a Christian is I must remember actively what God's people said, what Jesus said, what his apostles said. I have to actively remember, and the only way I can do that is by being in the word of God every day. That's how we call to mind and remember those things. Then he goes on and says, they said to you in the last time there will be scoffers following their ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. So he goes on to even explain again who these false teachers are and what motivates them. He says in the last time, which 
just so you know, in the first century, they viewed that Jesus had ushered in the last times. They saw it as imminent. They saw it as right there with them. And so when he says, in the last time, guess what we still say today? In the last time, we're still there. In the last time, there will be scoffers. That means mockers, people who mock. Oh, baby. We have people, we have pastors who will mock the Bible and basically tell you that it is, in, it is insufficient to meet your needs. Or we need to change some things in it. That it's a, no, because the word of God is so harsh on sin. We need to change that a little bit. We need to soften that up. He says there will be scoffers following what? Their own ungodly passions. What's the motivation for twisting the word of God? What's the motivation for deceiving the people of God? Their own ungodly lusts and passions. They want for themselves and they will use the people of God and they will use the word of God to get out of people what they want. Let us not be shocked. The apostles told us this was going to be the case. And they would be wolves who would seek to devour. So I want you to notice how the false teachers are described. And Jude, you know, everybody says, I like Jesus, the loving guy, right? The one who's cool with everybody, doesn't say anything wrong and doesn't, isn't mean, right? Isn't harsh in any way. Well, Jesus' brother Jude gets pretty harsh. And he says, here's what the false teachers are. He says they're scoffers or they're mockers. He says they're ungodly. Then he goes on and says, it is these who cause divisions. He says they are divisive people. They come into the church and they divide the people of God. He says they are worldly, which is another word for natural. It means they're not of God. They are of the world. And then he says what? He says that one of the marks of them is that they are devoid of the spirit. You know the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian? You know the difference between a sheep and a wolf? No difference between someone who teaches the word of God faithfully and someone who, who twists it according to their own means. They are devoid of the Holy Spirit. Christians possess the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit residing within us. False teachers do not. So their motivation, it's not just that they are just erroneous. It's the fact that they are purposefully, because they are ungodly, because they don't have the Holy Spirit, they are leading people astray for their own gain. False teachers follow their own passions because they're devoid of the Spirit. False teachers do not belong to God because they are devoid of the Spirit. Christians belong to God. Why? Because you have the Holy Spirit. You're His. You belong to Him. So much so that He has given us the Holy Spirit as our inheritance, as our guarantee. So He says that these false teachers, in contrast to Christians, they seek their own ungodly passions. They seek division among God's people because they do not belong to God, because they are devoid of the Spirit. They're simply acting like Christians even though they're not. And just so you know, in a church of any size, you will find people who are acting like Christians who don't have the Spirit. They don't belong to God, but they're acting like they do. And we were told this was going to happen. And just so you know, it will continue to happen until Jesus comes back. So he calls on them. He calls the Christians, number one, to remember the predictions of the apostles. You must call to mind. You must spend time in God's word. You must know it. You must study it. You must learn it because it is how we stand in the face of false teaching. Number two, he tells us that we are to keep ourselves in the love of God. He says, but you, again, emphatic again, 
instead of, he just, he just told you a little bit about the false teachers, their scoffers. He says, but you, again contrasting, but you, beloved or dear friends, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. That's a command. Keep yourselves in the love of God is a command. So number one, he says you are to remember the predictions of the apostles. Number two, you are to keep yourselves in the love of God. Well, how? How do you keep yourself in the love of God? That's exactly what he shares with us here. He tells us, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has just told you three ways of how you keep yourself in the love of God. You ready for him? He just gave you three ways. Number one, you build yourself up in the most holy faith. Okay. Just see. If you are going to build yourself up in the most holy faith, that insinuates you're growing. He didn't say tear down. He said build yourselves up. That means God intends for you to grow in your faith. In your... Okay. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how long you've been in church. There is still more growing to do. Right? That is true until we breathe our last breath, we are still to be growing. Why? Because we still have more to understand about this God and about who we are and how he rescued us. And so he says, you Christians, if you're going to contend for the faith, if you're going to stand in the face of false teachers, you must keep yourselves in the love of God. And you do that, number one, by building yourselves up in the most holy faith. You've got to build but if you build, that insinuates there's a foundation upon which you're building. Houses have to have them. So do we. So what is the foundation of the Christian that we build upon? Your most holy faith. What's the foundation that we are to build upon? What are we to be pursuing and building towards as we live every day of our lives? Well, he says it is the most holy faith. Why is it holy? Because it comes from a holy God. And we are to build ourselves up. That's an active word, by the way. That's not let go and let God. That's I'm going to pursue this thing. I'm going to call, I'm going to pursue remembering the word of God. I'm going to pursue building up my faith and what is the foundation that you build upon? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul says, in verse 19, he says, So then you are no longer strangers, talking about Christians. You're no longer strangers or aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Verse 20, built on the foundation of what? Paul tells us what we're to build upon. The foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Okay, so God says that as, you're, as a Christian, you're going to fight against false teaching by, number one, remembering the predictions of the prophets. Number two, keeping yourself in the love of God. And one of the ways you keep yourself in the love of God is you grow in your understanding of the gospel. How do you grow in your understanding of the gospel? So, what's that? Study it. And not just like 
all right, it's Wednesday. I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to go study because that's the day we do it on. Go study on Wednesday. It's nice. We do. But that means we're going to have to study the word. That means we're going to have to study the gospel more than one day. If we're going to grow in our understanding of the gospel, that means we should, we should probably spend a lot of time in the word together. That means you should, I think I've said this before, when's the last time any of you went out for coffee or lunch and talked about the gospel with somebody? And that was your whole purpose. Your whole purpose of going was just to talk about the word of God. You know how badly you and I need that? That you would call somebody up on a Monday and say, you know what? We need to go spend time just talking about the gospel together. Let's just, let's just go spend time talking about that. We'll do, we'll do easy stuff. Let's just open up to the gospels and start looking at what Jesus, is, what Jesus did in his ministry. Let's study it together. Let's talk about it. How many times have you done that? How many times have you spent time in other people's homes? How many times have you invited people over to say, you know what? Let's just talk about the gospel. Let's just talk about the Bible a little bit. Because if, if God's, this is a command. The command of God is keep yourself in the love of God. And he says one of the ways you do that is you build yourselves up in the most holy faith. You study the word. Not just a couple times a week. You study the word. Listen, when I, when I had a fancy for my now wife, when she, when she was just a girl I knew, I liked her. And... And I wanted to be with her. And, and we used to write letters, right? Sorry, son. Back in the day, we wrote letters to each other. You know? So, so it was like I texted her. I texted her. We would text during the day. We'd say, oh, you're so sweet. I enjoy hanging out. It's a good day, isn't it? No, dumb stuff. That doesn't mean anything. But then... But then uh, but then she sent me a letter. And I'm telling you, I didn't just go, uh, but you must remember, beloved, predictions of the apostles, and uh, they said to you in the last time there'll be scoffers following them. I didn't, when I read my wife's letter that she wrote to me, I thought about every word she used. What does she mean by that? She did a, she did a little heart to dot the eye. Remember that, right? I, 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 anal, I was like an FBI, you know, profiler. I was reading this letter like I was just trying to figure out her brain. Like, oh, what's she saying? What does she mean by that? And yet I pick up God's word like it's some kind of manual to my refrigerator. Imagine this is God's word to his children whom he loves. Wouldn't we want to sit down and go, God, what do you mean by that? I'm going I'm to look into that. I'm going to study that. Oh, it's before the foundation of the world? I want to know what that means. All right, when have you studied the word of God with such passion because you want to know what God is saying to you? Listen, that's not something we do just when we get the chance to come together. That's something we do every day. We got to be around each other going, have you read this? Have you read this? What do you think? What have you studied? What have you found out? That's the fun stuff. I'm telling you, there's nothing better than sitting with a brother or sister in Christ across the table, having some coffee, just saying, can you believe what Acts chapter 2 says? They gave up all their stuff for each other. That's crazy. But this is God's word to us. And one of the ways that we keep ourselves in the love of God is we pour over his word. 
We, we dive the depths of it because it's God speaking to us about who he is. And oh, how I want to know more about him. And every day we should want to know more about this God and the beautiful news of his son. Number two, how do you keep yourself in the love of God? He says, and praying in the Holy Spirit. Just so you know, praying is not something you do extra. Praying is part of how you are kept in the love of God. Daily communion with God, talking to him. That's a relationship, right? That's, if you like somebody and you're in a relationship with them, you want to talk to them a lot, Right? I'm not going to tell you about how much my parents' phone bill was when I was talking to my now wife when she was away at college. I'll just tell you, I had to give up many of my work checks. I mean, I literally didn't get to deposit them. I just signed them to, here you go, mom. Put that on my tab. Why? Because I would call Jody at school and I, I would just talk. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to hang up. You know what I mean? I didn't want to hang up. I rem I'm, this is like therapy. I'm sorry. But I remember almost falling asleep on the phone with Jody because I didn't want to hang up. And I'm like, it's like 12 o'clock at night. We should be in bed. And I'm like, what? Because I wanted to hear her voice. Right? Right? Because that's part of a relationship is you talk. And one of the ways we keep ourselves in the love of God is not only do we grow in our understanding of the gospel, but we talk to God and he talks to us. We pray. I'm telling you, prayer is not just something we do real quick like, dear God, thanks for the pizza. That's great and all, but that's not the depths of our prayers. Our prayers are pouring our hearts out to God saying, God, I can't do this on my own. I need you. So, Keep yourselves in the love of God by, number one, growing in your understanding of the gospel. It means you've got to study the word of God. Number two, praying in the Holy Spirit. You spend time praying. And by the way, that's a great gift God's given us because guess what the false teachers didn't have? The Spirit. Here he tells Christians, pray in the Holy Spirit. Guess what false teachers don't have? The Holy Spirit. How could we ever neglect that? Why would we ever want to be like the false teachers who refuse to talk to our God? And then number three, you're either going to like this or you're going to hate this. Waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. There's waiting involved. So you keep yourself in the love of God by building yourself up in the most holy faith, by praying in the Holy Spirit, and by waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ. This day isn't it. What we're living right now is not the end. We are waiting for Jesus to come back. Because when he comes back, we will finally have what? Eternal life. Listen, it's been promised to us now, but we're waiting for eternal life to be made real at the coming of Jesus. Because when Jesus comes back, we will finally have the salvation of our souls we've been waiting for resurrected from the dead forever to dwell with God. That's what we long for. But the problem is we don't, we stray so often from God because we are so focused on, I just got to get through Monday. Right? 
Y'all pray for Sybil. She got to go back to class tomorrow. And them kids been off school for a week. Right? And we're waiting for the return of our Savior because then we will finally have the salvation of our souls that we so long for. And the problem is we only focus on today and we can get caught up in, you know, Sybil's going to go to work tomorrow and Sybil's going to be like, I got to get through today. I just got to endure these kids. Right? They're going to come in here and she's... But one of the ways that Sybil stays and keeps herself in the love of God is she remembers that while she's ministering to these kids and teaching them, she's longing for her Savior to come. She's doing everything for his glory. She's doing everything because he loved her and she's going to serve him longing for the day when she will be free in him. And the same is true for all of you. And whatever you do, whatever you do during your week, you're not just spinning your wheels. It's not just about this life. It's about what God's doing in eternity. And we have to have our eyes focused on what Jesus is promised is going to happen that we will have eternal life in him at his return. And so we live every day purposely. That word waiting is actually a longing for. It's an anxiously waiting for. It's like, oh, I can't wait. Now, some of us live like, Jesus, I need you to hold off for a little bit. You can't come this week. I got, I got stuff I got to do. I'm not ready. But as Christians, one of the ways we keep ourselves in the love of God is we anxiously wait for Jesus to come back. Lord, come quickly, please. Because we want you. And everything we do is simply because we want you. And so every day we live is with eternity in mind, not just right now. The big picture. We keep ourselves in the love of God by building ourselves up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, and waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's wrap it up. Jude finishes this section and I understand Jude wrote the whole letter at once, so I'm not saying that he's broken it up. But I'm saying in the text we're going to look at this morning, he finishes this with number three. Christians are number one, to remember the predictions of the apostles. Number two, keep yourselves in the love of God. And number three, have mercy and save those influenced by the false teachers. We don't give up on each other. Just because wolves exist within our church does not mean we give up. Because we know Jesus is coming again, we don't despair. Right? We don't go, oh, what's going to happen? No, we trust in him. We, we study the word of God. We pray in the Holy Spirit. We, we wait longingly for the return of Jesus. We dedicate ourselves to, and devote ourselves to God. And while we're doing that, he says, we also have mercy on those who doubt. I believe this is talking about those who were influenced and confused by the false teachers. They're doubting. They're not sure what's real anymore. And what Jude tells the Christians in his day is, don't give up on them. Have mercy on them. And that's a command too. Have mercy on those who doubt. Then he goes on and says, and save others. That's also a command. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. Well, we know from God's word that snatching out of the fire is often used as a picture of judgment and saving people from eternal judgment before God. And so in this text, while, while Judas pointed out the false teachers and what they're all about, he's pointed out what Christians are to be about, he goes on to say, now don't give up on those who have been influenced by the false teachers. Have mercy on those who doubt. Have mercy on them. 
And number two, save others or rescue them by snatching them out of the fire. What do I believe this is teaching us today as Christians? Don't give up on those lost people who you think are just never going to trust in him. Don't give up. Don't stop sharing the gospel with them. Don't stop because God is in the business of rescuing even the hardest heart. And we know that because he rescued us. And so don't give up. Don't stop. We are still, as Christians, seeking to save people from destruction. We're going out there. We're not just saying, hey, here's a cool thing for you to believe in. We're going out and sharing the gospel saying, this is how you will be plucked out of the fire. Instead of the wrath of God, you can experience the forgiveness of God. Instead of death, you can experience life. We are people who are saving other people. Now, God is the one who does it, but he uses us to proclaim that salvation is available in him. Just so you know, that Jude said the first century church should be about these things. I think our church is also to be about these things. That if we're going to be found standing in the face of false teaching, we will be found remembering the predictions of the apostles. We'll, we will study the word of God and remember what they taught us. We'll also keep ourselves in the love of God by those three ways I shared with you. And number three, we seek after the lost and we plead with them to be saved and to be rescued. That's an awesome marching order from, from God. That's a great mission to be a part of. So you want to sum up what Judas told you about what it means to contend for the faith and stand in the face of false teaching? Study the Bible, keep yourself in the love of God, and have mercy on those who are wavering. Don't give up on them. Share with them the gospel. As you grow in the understanding of the gospel, share with them about the gospel. So we ought to keep ourselves in love of God by building ourselves up in the most holy faith. And by the way, that's not a mystical thing. That is just simply a greater understanding of the good news of Jesus. By praying in the Holy Spirit and by waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, our eyes are fixed on our future hope in Christ. So what does this mean for us this morning? It means, number one, if you're not a Christian, I urge you and I plead with you from the word of God, I urge you, to not be tossed to and fro by every little wind of doctrine, but to know and understand the gospel of Christ. That is, that you are a sinner deserving of eternal punishment and separation from God. But Jesus came and died on the cross for your sin and mine. He paid the penalty for our treason against God, and he rose from the dead to show that he had conquered sin, death, and Satan, and to show that the Father had accepted his sacrifice for all sin. And the Bible calls us to believe. There's only two responses to Jesus. One is reject him, and one is trust him. And I am begging with you, I am pleading with you, every person in this room, if you are not a Christian, I am pleading with you to not leave this church today until you have come face to face with your sin and the great Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm happy to stay after service and talk to you about what that means. 
I'm happy to talk to you after service about what it means to truly be saved. But do not leave here if you are not a Christian. You need to repent and trust in Jesus today. And number two, if you're a Christian, we need to be about this together. Together we remember what God's word says. Together we remember the predictions of the apostles. We study the word of God together. We pour over. We don't just do it on Sundays and Wednesdays. We do it all the time. And we spend time together in the word of God learning more. Anybody here need to learn more about the Bible? Woo! I guess that means we ought to study it. So we should probably get together and do that. If you ever want to have lunch with me, call me up. I'll go to lunch. If you're a lady, call my wife. She'll go to lunch. She loves lunch. I love lunch. Call us up. We'll talk about the Bible. We'll do all kinds of stuff. But spend time in the word of God together. Call each other up tomorrow and say, let's go talk about the Bible. You may not know everything it says, but you can read. And you know the basic, simple truths of who Jesus is. Start in the Gospel of John and work your way through. Or start in the Gospel of Mark and just start studying. Read James together. Whatever you need to do, just study the Bible together more than just Sundays and Wednesdays. Study it all the time. Number two, let's be found praying in the Holy Spirit. Let's take prayer serious. As a church, let's, let it never be said of us at Fairhaven that we don't pray to our Father. And let's do it individually so we'll do it better together. Let us pray in the Holy Spirit. And let us wait, longing for the return of Christ, knowing that when Jesus returns, we will finally have what we desire, and that is eternal life. And he is so glorious in giving it. So let us live every day. When you go to work tomorrow, don't go, oh, i got to go to work tomorrow. You go to work tomorrow going, man, I get to do this to the glory of God, knowing that one day I will work for him forever. If you're retired, do your retiring to the glory of God. Just retire it up for God. Just do the stuff you know that will glorify him. Just love God in the way that you retire. But we keep our eyes fixed that one day Jesus is coming and there won't be any more false teachers. There won't be any more deception. There will be the truth and we will dwell with him forever. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word. I thank you for how you encourage us as Christians and you teach us how, God, we're to live for you in this daily, uh, day-to-day life. And so, God, I pray that, first of all, if there's anyone here in the sound of my voice who is not trusting in you but is, is, is trusting in themselves, God, I pray that you would draw them to yourself. God, you would show them how clearly you can that they are sinners who cannot earn heaven. They cannot earn salvation, but you gave it freely through your son Jesus and his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. God, cause them to hate their sin so much that, God, they would want to turn away from it and want to turn to Christ. So God, draw them, woo them to yourself that they might repent and trust in Jesus. And God, help us as Christians to not be apathetic, to not be passive in our faith, but to be active, living every day for your glory. God, every day growing in our understanding of the gospel, every day praying in your Holy Spirit, and every day waiting and longing for your return. God, help us to do that, not only as individuals, but help us to do that as a church. God, that when people come into our church, they find believers who love the Lord, and want to know more about him and want to study his word 
and want to pray and want to wait for him with longing eyes. God, help us to do that. And help us, God, to be passionate about seeing lost people come to know you. Oh, God, help us to have mercy on our neighbors. Not condemnation, but mercy and grace. The same grace you showed us, God, let us show it to our neighbors and our families and our friends. God, urging them to turn away from sin and to trust in you. God, we thank you in advance for the people who you are going to pluck out of the fire. For the people you're going to save, God, we thank you in advance and we get ready to celebrate all that you're going to do. But Lord, may it start with us. Use us. Cause us, God, to fall before your feet and give you glory. In this moment, God, as we respond to you, move in our hearts. Use your Holy Spirit to stir up our affections for you and to point us to Jesus. May it all be done so that you receive the glory you rightly deserve as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We ask it in the sweet, precious, merciful name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.